You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 439. I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Andy Kroll is back and he likely has something to say. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. What I've realized now is that you do have an opening the podcast voice because we had our little pre-show and you have a little welcome voice, which I very, very much appreciate because now I know I'm being recorded. Do you know what? When I was interviewing at Textus, when I was interviewing with our architect, we started doing the pairing interview. And then maybe about 20 minutes into it, he turned to me and he said, hey, you know, I forgot to hit record on this. I was like, oh, yeah, you can record this. No problem. And so he hit the record button and apparently my voice shifted to podcast voice. <laughs> I'm a little shameless, but, you, see, you know, <laughs> you see a little red box saying on air and your full game face, which I appreciate a lot. You have to be able to turn it on and off. It's a superpower. <laughs> now, do you do that as well? I don't know. I would say my voice is my voice and I just talk way too much. So look out, listeners. I just talk and talk and talk until someone butts in. Thankfully, Brittany can keep me on a tight leash. Speaking of, <laughs> how are things going with First Ruby Friend, Andy? <sighs> so First Ruby Friend is going quite well. I just sent out another 73 matches as the first October batch. I sent out 160 odd the month before, which was the big sort of the backed up group. So they are coming through. I'm having the feedback's really mixed, I suppose. The ones who are making contact are generally loving it. I've had a couple of really delightful emails. I found this mentor. They are helping me so much. It's been terrific. And then I'm having some. This person never got in touch with me. And like, I sort of understand on the mentee side, on the mm. person who's getting mentorship, like, you maybe don't have time. Like it's a thing that you're sort of aspiring to a career in Ruby or software development. I'm always a bit sadder when the mentors don't show up. That feels like, come on, folks. I feel important. You have to do the work to fill out the form. So like there is definitely a barrier there. And I completely agree with you, Andy. That's completely unacceptable. I, I mean, I understand life interferes, but I'm also fighting against spam filters. Mm. Despite the amount of email that I send from my email address, it turns out that every now and then Gmail thinks I'm spam. And I, honestly, I'm not. There's a lot of volume, that's all. So I'm not going to reveal who my mentee is, though I am trying to gently coax her to being a guest on the podcast. I'm absolutely loving it. It took a little while for us to get connected. So you mm -hmm. are right. There is a little bit of friction there. But yeah. once we were able to connect, I don't know if this is a recurring pattern for you, but I have a recurring meeting with her now. So yeah. I don't think about it. Every three weeks we meet, she probably has a love-hate relationship with me because I give her a lot of advice, but I also make her do a lot of homework. Mm -hmm. So I am absolutely blown away by her skill set and the fact that she thinks she's a junior developer. So it's just been really insightful for me. She's been working professionally for two years and just doing incredible things. And my goal for her is to help her find a job that is a really good match for her that's paying her well and is investing into her education. I was worried, admittedly, Andy, I was really worried that you were going to partner with someone who didn't need my help. And so I'm just really glad that that has not been the case. See, I think everybody needs everybody's help. This is kind of like my working theory of everything. That sort of lots of things that I do are to sort of just connect people to similar people. There was nothing nicer than going to Portland for RailsConf and like being amongst my people again. That was just a brilliant feeling. This is the thing on the mentorship side as well. Like one of the things about the mentorship sort of criteria for a mentor is you only really need to have had a year's experience because you have so much development in that first year over where you were a year ago. I mean, you think about people who've been through a boot camp, like where they are at the start and where they are at the end, right? 
that doesn't really change in that first year of work. So if you have experience of any sort of paid software work, even if it's terrible, honestly, even if your first job is a bad first job, you still have a lot to give to somebody who hasn't got that first job yet or who has only just started that first job and wants to know whether their workplace is a good place to be, right? So you're able to give that mentorship and comradeship even. It's super important and super valuable. And you're right. Everybody needs help. I need help too. I am a former bootcamp mentor and I wanted to see if I could get back on that bike and I can still (laughs) help. Always going to have a little bit of that imposter syndrome because I crossed into being an engineering manager. I'm not writing as much code day to day. And so it's nice for me to be able to like comb through her repos and like make judgment calls as to whether or not she did a good job on something or whether or not it's well documented. It feels good too to mentor someone that I don't manage. Like there's a lot too. There's a lot of fake certainty in management, particularly in bigger organizations. It's not okay to show you're working as a manager and to show your uncertainty. Whereas in just a standard mentorship conversation, you're able to just go, look, I don't know your situation. And you can have less context and that empowers you to reveal your lack of knowledge of their situation, but still you're willing to help. And that's the important and empathetic thing, I think. Yeah, I think as a manager, you want to bring your whole self to the workplace, but let's be honest, you can't always do that. And so with her, she can tell me something that someone told her and I can just kind of like say... From my experience, that is complete and total BS. However, (laughs) (laughs) however, let's take it from another way, or maybe you need to talk to this person to validate that. As someone who manages people, you want to be friendly with them, but they're not your friends. In this Mm. case, aptly named the program, she literally is a Ruby friend. Yeah, yeah. So interesting, there is an instinct in you. So I'm just, I'm going to sidetrack this completely now. So interesting, you said that you want to bring your whole self to work. And I think certainly if you're in a management role, you actually, part of being a manager is not bringing your whole self to work Mm -hmm. because I don't think you can manage other people's emotions and problems if you're not in control of yours. I think it's actually important to both show your weakness, but also to bring a sense of control. And I know it's almost a parenting thing. I have days where I'm feeling bad or upset or disappointed when I'm parenting my kids and yet I still have to show up for them. And I think there's a certain amount of that similar behavior, although it works not a family and all that stuff, but there's definitely a sense of, I don't think you can be a good manager if you out of control yourself. Like the first person you have to manage as a manager is yourself. No, that's such a valid point. I believe that I am a much more effective manager because I work from home and you can't see my initial reaction. Andy, I think you'll agree with me. Like That's great. Just, <laughs> I think some people are just innately selfless and I'm not one of them. I will admit it right now. And so like if an employee messages me and says, hey, I'm not well today. I'm going to have to blow off all these meetings today. I'm going to take the day off. My first instinct should be, are you okay? How can I support you? But honestly, my first instinct is like, oh God, that project that we said we were going to ship tomorrow. Now I'm going to have to like rearrange all these meetings and I'm going to have to reset expectations with product. And then my second instinct is, no, no, you should be a good person and say, are you okay? (laughs) Remote work, it allows you to be the better person that you always wanted to be. I depend on those delayed reactions. You know? <laughs> nice. So it's kind of nice because going back to my first Ruby friend, I don't need the delayed reactions. It's kind yeah. of refreshing to just 
react because like she's told me some stuff and I have very visibly reacted like she's seen it and she's yeah. like very surprised by it. And yeah. I think the same goes for her too. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice. It feels like having that conference chat on a very regular basis. Yeah, it's like you're it's like having a little hallway track for yourself. See, those are the fun bits of empathizing when you know when you hear that company that you admired and you hear things aren't going super well. Things are never as shiny on the inside as they are on the outside, right? For any company um, or organization. And yeah, the hallway tracks where you find that stuff out. And I think certainly like a mentorship program where it's not related to sort of pastoral care or your boss's boss or someone else inside a company. That's why there's value in having a mentor outside of your current workplace, as well as having a mentor inside your current workplace is also super valuable. But yeah, there's that nice honesty to it that I think is missing otherwise. I will admit that I'm one of those terrible people. Now, the way that you write emails, Andy, is just incredible because sometimes you trick me into thinking that you actually wrote me the email. Like you're just very good about making them feel personal. But the only way that you found out that my first Ruby friend was going well for me is because you came onto this podcast. I've not been good about replying to emails, but overall, have people been talking to you? Yes. And I have said in every email, Brittany, that you should reply with the experiences that you're having. So if this is the only way I can do it, then this is going to be a very long and tortuous process for me. Because first of all, everyone on the program is going to have to start their own podcast and then I'm going to have to appear on it, which is going to make Paul, the editor, very, very sad about hearing my voice. I'm going to take a moment to tell you all about Honey Badger's cron job and heartbeat monitoring. How important are cron jobs to your business? For me, they are absolutely mission critical. Honey Badger monitors your cron jobs and services to make sure that they don't silently disappear. When Honey Badger is quiet, life is good. Have you ever considered implementing heartbeat monitoring? Honey Badger also makes that incredibly simple as well. Honey Badger gives you a URL, then you call the URL. If Honey Badger stops hearing from you within the configured time period, they're going to go ahead and alert you. Honey Badger just keeps adding more and more tooling that all developers need. To dive into all of this, head on over to honeybadger.io. People have got back to me and I am starting to get stuff back. Like the first batch of people started in August and you were one of my trusted confidants for that, for the very small group to make sure that I write the emails ahead of time that they're going to go out. And the next batch was, you know, a large chunk. So I'm starting to hear back from all of those as the month ticks over. So I've got to make sure that enough meetings happen. Like some people are having these meetings more often. And to make sure enough meetings happen, I'm reminding people. And also it gives me a chance to remind them if they haven't managed to catch up with their mentor or mentee yet. And so I can pop them back out of the program and reassign a mentee to a new mentor or put the mentor back on my big pile of mentors that I've got. I am hearing back good stuff. And that's kind of the secret plan for the whole thing, really, is my plan for this is to help junior folks find jobs, because I think that's the sign of a healthy programming community. And I don't think any programming community is particularly good at onboarding junior folks. Like You only have to speak to new bootcamp grads or people who've been through bootcamps years ago to know that first job is the hardest step. Once you've got a year's experience on your resume or CV, it's much easier to get a job. I'm matching people by city as much as I can. Some people haven't got that. Apologies to those whose time zones are a little bit further apart. But I'm hoping that people will find people in their city. This brilliant junior, like you said, you're, the person you're mentoring is so adept already at their job, and you're just trying to help lift them up even further. So the idea is, is that people doing mentoring will meet the mentees and go, wait a minute, this person's great. We could hire this person. That's my first hope. I would love to hear if that happens. 
I mean, it definitely could happen. I mean, our plan for next year is to hire more junior developers. So like I'm hoping that everybody's plan is to do that now that like the job market's starting to settle out again. And you're right, Andy. The only way we're going to keep people in the Ruby community is if we get them Ruby jobs. I love the idea. It's very romantic that someone who's working in JavaScript all day would do Ruby on the weekends and evenings or whatever. But let's be realistic. To have them fully be immersed in the Ruby community, I think it's unreasonable if they're not doing any sort of Ruby at work. What do you think? To really contribute to the community in a code or in a social or writing way, you have to be immersed in it, right? To really provide value. Even if that immersion is trying out for the first time and finding the rough edges of installing Ruby or whatever it is, like you have to have that frustration to drive the productivity into the world. I'm using the word productivity probably quite badly there, but yeah, you've got to have that immersion. Otherwise it's not going to work. Most of us have a very short period in our lives where we can do stuff in the evenings and weekends that aren't looking after somebody else or having a bit of a lie down. So yeah, you can't expect people to be picking up a second language for any length of time on the weekends, I don't think. Well, let's talk about time because Andy, how do you have any... Between your job, your twin dad, you're helping to plan RubyConf Mini, you're doing my first Ruby friend. I just feel like you're incredibly involved in the community. How do you do it? I am dogged in my determination when I see something wrong. I'm also really good at systems. So Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of stuff that makes me more productive. I decide I want to do a thing and then I work out a way to do it. So always systems thinking, but mostly for myself. So the newsletter that I write every fortnight. Now, admittedly, I took six months off this year when I had a conference talk and a restarted in-person conference and this mentorship thing. But I have a formula and I'm constantly collecting things in an Apple note of like, here's a topic or here's a thing I said on a PR as part of my day job. And I can turn that in using the formula for my newsletter. It's literally one tiny thing. Here's why you would do it. Here's why you might not do it. And then I send it out. That's all it is over and over again. And the same with the conference, like Brighton Ruby. So I'm able to help a tiny bit with RubyConf Mini. Gemma and Emily are doing the vast majority of the work, as well as the Ruby Central folks providing sort of centralized support. I'm literally a sense check in the Slack and pointing and saying, you don't have to do that, or you could do that. I'm sort of like doing PR review on conference organizing, I guess. I don't know. And you'd have to ask Gemma how helpful I actually am and whether I'm just an annoying person adding to her to-do list. But yeah, so it's a case of like with Brighton Ruby, sort of the same conference over and over again. I mean, obviously different people, different years, different lineups, venues have changed, things have changed, but each year I'm only changing like 10, 20% of it. And so I have all of the emails from the previous years and I can look at what did I do last year? Oh yeah, I, I did that. Knowing what the minimum you can do to be effective is. And so it might feel like I'm doing a lot. And some weeks it does feel like I'm doing a lot, but it's about having the systems to support you and taking care of myself otherwise, getting out, doing some exercise, dragging my 42-year-old carcass around a football pitch like I'll do this evening. Um, Amazing. I'm also, I'm not trying to turn everything into a Rails app, which I think is a failing of many programmers. You see a problem and you believe you can solve it with software. So the first Ruby friend is literally two forms and then it's spreadsheet on my computer. And it's an email software that then ships it all out. 
So if you've decided that you're going to commit to something, are you one of those people who just is very ambitious, like at some part of the day or the week and you agree to do something and then you worry about it later when you actually have to do the thing or when you know that you're committing to something? So let's say when you started the podcast chats in the cupboard, do you just fully focus on that until it's done? Like, how do you approach that kind of stuff? I sort of focus on the system and then let the system tell me what it needs. Like I read Atomic Habits a couple of years ago and it both was helpful and reinforced the things that I didn't realize I was doing. I'm just like, yeah, you just make a vote. Every time you do a thing, you make a vote for the person you're going to be. So with the chats in the cupboard, that's easy because I want to talk to Vidahi because she's brilliant. And it's a good excuse for me to call Portland for us to find a time in the day to have a chat about stuff that we both think about. So that's the reason for that. And the reason it's like we do it in little seasons of four is because life gets in the way. So we know we're not committing to something that we have to do every week. Like some people can, like if they've got a different life situation. I could ask the same question of you, Brittany. You produce one of these things every week. How the hell do you do that for years and years, right? I can see the same sort of thing as how I do Brighton Ruby every year. Do you find that it's the systems that support you now or how do you find it? How do you do it? How do you you keep doing this damn thing? (laughs) Such a good question. I have figured out very much so that I am a morning person. And so if I don't work out, I am not the same person. So going to CrossFit at like 6 a.m. is kind of like that jump start. Okay, I got moving, like I feel good and now I'm going to commit to things. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question, Andy, I've been hosting this podcast for years and I tend to take a break here and now, but I secretly, and now it's not so secret, I'm trying to hit an episode every single week this entire year. And so far I have not missed one yet. And we are in October, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. But there are times that I am shipping episodes by the skin of my teeth, but I feel it's important that this is my contribution to the community. It doesn't feel the same as you, though, Andy, admittedly, because this is my contribution. I feel like you're contributing to the community in like five or six different ways. So I'm a oh, big that's fan. Very kind. <laughs> that's very kind. I feel like I, people should have probably had enough of me and the people who don't like me are just like, geez, that guy again. Oh, my goodness. So, well, yeah, that's the thing, though, Andy, with you. It's just it's always quality. So <laughs> I'm serious. I'm literally serious. Everything you produce is quality, but at an MVP level. The way that you do your newsletter, the way that you set up My First Ruby Friend, you know when to cut back and just get the thing done. However, your conference talks, you can tell how much work they take because they're so smooth. They feel very Sandy Mets, which is now. Oh, goodness me. That's that's outlandishly high praise. It's just you hit a beat. The conference slides are so well put together. Like there's always that recurring theme. They always sum up well at the end. Like they're very well rehearsed. If you could mentor in any sort of way, it's when to fully go for it and when to pull back and just iterate. So that's my big compliment for you for the day. I mean, that's delightful. I've gone all Hugh Grant. This is terrifying. Hi, everyone. It's Brian, your co-host. I'd like to talk to you about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that's the software consultancy I co-founded in 2001, Atlantis Technology. Some of the longtime listeners here may know, Mirror was born out of Atlantis back in 2006 when we figured, let's try being Ruby engineers who recruit Ruby engineers. It was a unique idea that clicked and now has become my life's work. But while I've been growing Mirror for the past 15 years, Atlantis has continued to grow as well. Atlanta still specializes in Ruby on Rails software development and collaborates on some pretty meaningful projects. 
Here are a couple of my favorites. An interactive education tool to help elementary school students learn how to read. How cool is that, right? Second is a SaaS application for clinics and hospitals to treat patients remotely. So my point is the work we do is really meaningful and impactful to others. But the best part is the work gets done by great developers who also happen to be great people. Atlantis has always attracted egoless, empathetic engineers who love working together and we are actively seeking more remote engineers to help build the future for our clients. While I'm not doing the actual recruiting for Atlantis myself, since my time is so focused on Mirror clients, it'd be my privilege to connect you with our CTO and co-founder, John Collier, who after 19 years, I still describe as one of the most relentlessly positive human beings I know. If you'd like to meet John and hear more about working at Atlantis, just drop me an email at brian at mirrorplacement.com and I'll make an intro or apply directly at atlantistech.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. So I was having a long chat with Nick Means, who gives amazing conference amazing. talks and a couple of other folks at Brighton Ruby once. And we were all talking about our process for how we make a conference talk. And it was completely different for everybody. My process is that I have sort of an insight that I get from somewhere else or a feeling that I've got or something that I express accidentally in conversation. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'll write that down. That's a good thought. And then I start collecting stuff that is around that topic, again, in a massive Apple note until I sort of know what my conclusion is. And then you work back from there. And then I do get lots of review of my performances, as they might be described, from like people who I trust. I guess, plus also, I've seen a lot of conference talks. I've been to a lot of conferences. I've run a lot of conferences. I do watch conference videos. I have a folder on my desktop with another 30 or so that I haven't watched yet. And I go through phases of watching three or four. I can't lie, I do watch some of them at time and a half. I apologize, that ruins everyone's timing. But yeah, so I do put a lot of effort into those. But also, I don't do technical talks particularly. I have done in the past, but they tend to be things that I'm thinking about that bother me or things that I think that no one else is saying. I like the act of giving. And also, I quite like being on stage. Like I didn't used to, but just through a period of exposure and like basically everything that could have gone wrong in a conference talk has gone wrong to me because I've run conferences. So I'm not phased by things like the sound cutting out or video problems or any of that stuff. Or someone calling you mid-conference. That happened to me once. <laughs> that, that is an unfortunate one. I do airplane mode my phone. So like I have learned that one. But yeah, no, so it's purely exposure therapy <laughs> as much as anything, like just being on stage and being confident enough that you know the material. I actually do script my talks. They're quite scripted because I have things I specifically want to say. And certainly in the last talk, which you should go and watch, but maybe not if I get a chance to give it to you live, there's things I want to say and I have to be careful with my wording. I have to make sure that I'm not tripping over my words and saying the wrong thing. They feel kind of loose, but they're actually quite scripted. I'm glad I'm not the only one who does Apple Note driven development because I love my Apple Note. So I'm glad someone else is doing that. So I'm going to ask you, Andy, to pull open probably your latest Apple Note because I think you have a podcast idea to pitch to me. Yes, I do. So this podcast is great and I love it. And I love the other Ruby podcasts, which I pretty much listen to them all. My dog gets well walked as I listen to the various Ruby podcasts. But I think as a community we have a bit of a problem in that we are not that great at our own PR. Now, I think we used to be. 
I mean, what is the 15 minute blog video by DHH, if not a spectacular piece of marketing? People who've been around Ruby for more than a decade saw that video and were like, wow, that is amazing. That is a complete step change in what I can build and how quickly I can do it. And there's so much great work going on, both in Rails and in Ruby generally. And obviously Shopify, we know, are spending an enormous amount of money on paying people to work on open source things that are useful for Shopify and useful for us all. And various other bigger teams are contributing as well. But there's not the visibility for the normals like me. Like I don't do much open source work. I would love to hear what's coming up for those things. There are places that we can go to get what's just happened. There's Ruby Weekly and various other newsletters, but there's no what's coming up. How can you help? Eileen gave a tremendous talk at RailsConf about companies helping with open source, helping with open source and Ruby and making Ruby a hundred year language or whatever, whatever the sort of grandiose term that Shopify have come up with. But I don't think it's that easy to contribute from outside as a one-off. I think in large systemic frameworks such as this, you sort of have to be in it to contribute. So I think there's definitely useful news and PR and explanations of things that are happening in the world, right? So my pitch is there should be a podcast and it might end up that I end up doing this, frankly, because I need another thing on my plate. And once every three months, meet someone from the Rails core and say, what's going on Rails core? What are you all looking to do? And once a quarter, meet someone from Ruby core. And then once a year, meet someone from Devise. And then once a year, meet Mike Perham from Sidekick, right? Reach out to those folks and not in a kind of get to meet the people thing, but more of a like, what's the thinking going on in your team? What are you looking to do? Like, is Rails going to implement this special database-y thing across various active record adapters? Who in the community is doing interesting things in that world? Some of the best stuff that's come out into Rails in the last couple of years is things like Eileen's work on multiple databases, right? That was taking a thing that GitHub were doing in a weird and esoteric way and then frameworkizing it. Now, that is a particular skill to do. But if Rails is looking to do that sort of thing, then why not say, hey, everyone in the community who's listening to this, what's coming? And that's great because stuff feels like sometimes it pops out of these big frameworks, unless you're following like Rails, Rails on GitHub, which is really hard work to do. I don't have the bandwidth to do that. So did you used to listen to like old school bike shed? Because when Sage Griffin was on and they would talk about their work on active record, that was really exciting to me mm, because I did. You, you heard it happen and then it would be out there and you're like, oh, I already know about this. Like I heard Sage talk about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that is very individual dependent. And I guess this is, is the point. This is the point of what I do with Brighton Ruby is that, I mean, Brighton Ruby is quite individual dependent because I run it on my own. But it's about systems and systemic thinking. It's about doing the things for our community that can be repeated and like show life and keep going. Like the first Ruby friend thing, I knew before I launched that website how I was going to do it and how I was going to do it with a relatively small amount of time. So that it was a relatively small amount of time for other people as well. Like it's the commitment's only three hours over six months. That's the minimum commitment from a mentor. And you won't have one every six months. So What's the version of that that makes a manageable thing that makes our community better? And is this a podcast that you could write? I mean, I could say, Brittany, turn the Ruby on Rails podcast into this thing. I demand it. <laughs> but I guess my point is, is that like, yeah, I don't think it should because I love this podcast, how it is. Yeah, I've thought about doing series before. I have the bandwidth to be able to do a weekly podcast, but 
I've always thought, wouldn't it be cool to have one of the co-hosts do a spinoff series or just do like a fun series in between needing that fresh breath of air? And because I already have the subscribers, you just kind of serial podcast it in there and just kind of insert it (laughs) and have people try, learn a little from NPR. Yeah, the professional (laughs) podcasts do this, don't they? You get a podcast that ends and then you leave it in your podcast player and every now and then they send you a trailer for two minutes for another podcast. So I'm going to push you on something though, Andy. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be that good Mm -hmm. unless you had two core contributors talking to each other. Yeah. I think it would be better, to your point, not as an interview, but really like the insider view because... I do think that we struggle a little bit with how the bigger companies are now supporting core development. And some of them, it's like they can't reveal. I remember Kyle Daigle being the host of this podcast. And just often Kyle would be talking about really cool things, but couldn't really tell you what was going on. And then once GitHub finally released it, then Kyle could talk all about it. So I think we struggle a little bit on that. I agree. It's like I want to have someone who is watching Rails Rails and... Mm interesting issues open and close or interesting pull requests get opened. I don't know how to solve the whole Gusto, GitHub, Stripe, Basecamp. I almost said 37 signals. <laughs> no, they are. They have 37 signals again. They are? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> well, you have to change your name for reasons. But I don't know how to solve for that too, because I love the idea of going to Devise, but is there someone at Devise who does want to talk about the things that they want to do or is Devise in maintenance mode? Is Devise in a place where they're not really pushing anymore? Absolutely. Like, I think the core of it would be what's coming up, what's new in Rails, but like not in that kind of listy way. Like It can't be. And this is why I think a podcast, actually, this is why I'm talking to you about it on here is because I think a podcast is the ideal format for this kind of thing mm-hmm. because everybody can talk. And I, we're behind the curtain. I can't see your face right now. We're just having a, an old school phone call, except it's attached to my Mac. So like, you don't even have to put your face on the video to have this sort of chat. And I think if you write it up, you end up with one of those exhaustive list posts. And then what's actually important, you're not doing the synthesis to summarize for the people listening. Because that's the thing. I don't feel like I have a good view of the stuff that's going on in that Shopify team. Stuff pops out of it, but I don't have a sense... And I know that probably there's some things I can't talk about, but equally, there is definitely some things they can. And there's some things that GitHub could talk about. And there's some things that Gusto could talk about. And I guess it's a case of, is there a place that we can put this stuff to help us all understand and help us all? Because there is an element where critique of these ideas is important as well. That's an important thing. Even if you can't contribute, I don't mean being critical. I mean, asking, is this the sort of thing that the community wants? And I don't know the answer to this stuff. Well, let's Um, play out a scenario. Let's say Rails Core agrees to the idea of putting authentication into the framework. I know it will never happen, but let's say it would. Where would you want the podcast to be in that conversation? Would it be once they've opened the issue and the contributors have agreed, well, maybe this is something we'll consider? Or do you want that conversation once someone starts working on it or once it's shipped? And I think it's flexible. My ideal is... There is an idea that it pops out. There'll probably be an issue where it's discussed, right? Like how does stuff get into Rails now? Like there's issues, there's a Discord, there's a forum as well somewhere. So it's a case of like, I think it has to happen sort of at the beginning, but it doesn't have to be an in-depth exploration of it. It's just like, we're thinking of doing these things because of X, X, and X. And we hear there's some interesting work done here and this person's spoken up about maybe helping and this is the cool person to talk to. That feels like an ideal level. And each of those projects will be happening at a different 
cadence than the ones that are in motion, right? And then there would probably would be a review of the stuff that's just come out and critiques of the things that it's missing or knowing that it's a V1. It's sort of, I don't know, project management by podcast, which, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is probably just anyone from RailsCore is now never going to speak to me ever again. <laughs> I feel like there's all of the ways that I currently have of following this stuff don't help me get ahead of it. No, and I also don't want keynote-driven development either. I don't want to go to a conference and find out all the things that are being worked on. Yeah. That's too late. Big it, surprises, right? Like big surprises feel nice because everyone's like, oh my goodness, big surprise. I'm like, actually, big surprise is not probably where we're at right now. Right, because now I haven't implemented that into my roadmap because we're like that. And yeah. so like now I find out that the thing that we custom wrote could have been just part of the framework like a year ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I would prefer to know, but you're right. The idea that I would be following all these repos and be on top of everything, it's not realistic. I, I, mean, I completely agree with you. The core team of Rails is like 10 people. It's hard to manage 10 people's work, let alone have your day job and also follow 10 people's work. You also don't know who's going to, would love to know this, but how often does somebody do a drive-by pull request where everyone's like, this is utterly brilliant. Of course, we're going to merge it. I want to know how often that actually happens. Probably think, not a lot. I think bug fixes probably. Yeah, bug fixes. Bug probably fixes not performance, features, right? but no, the features are driven in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, and I don't know. And like, I don't think it should be me doing this podcast and it can't be you because you've already got a podcast. But oh, I, I would love my brain now. <laughs> <laughs> Andy and I are going to put this out here, whether he likes it or not. If someone wants to do this podcast, we would absolutely mentor you. Into oh, yeah. Doing this podcast. Yeah. 100%. No, absolutely. Love that. It's just an interesting idea, right? One of the critiques that is often thrown around in our world now is that, oh, you know, doesn't Laravel do this thing well? And I'm just like, yes, they do do many things well. Yes, they do. They have a different model for their whole community. Their language and their framework are much more separate than ours. Their framework is run by one their person. Founder. Their framework is also paid for by the commercial projects of the same company. So they have an entirely different set of incentive structures, which you sort of have to understand. This stuff tickles my brain. So it's like understanding why things are the way they are from a human and systems perspective. Laravel have a huge bus issue. New features don't go into Laravel unless Taylor builds them. New features, albeit that David was the originator of Rails and is still a big part of it today, but there are 10 people working on Rails Core. And there are all sorts of features that go into there that David's probably not even interested in and has no idea about because it's not run as a sort of benevolent dictatorship. Whereas you know, many, many projects are run as that and they run very well, but it just means that our structure and our support of that of the frameworks and tools that we use has to be slightly different and has to be tailored to how our community runs and how our large scale software projects run. So well, I think it's a really inter interesting problems to solve. <laughs> You've absolutely sold me. This podcast needs to exist. So I'm going to extend it again. Listeners, if you are interested in seeing this podcast, please reach out to Andy and I. I will link that all up in the show notes. Andy, I could talk to you for hours, but unfortunately I have my weekly stand up in a little bit. So <laughs> we're going to have to wrap it up. But Also, I'm also that's, re that's really boring for people <laughs> who are listening on their dog walks. They're like, how tired is their dog going to be if they've got to listen to a four hour chat between the pair of us? This is true. This is true. Well, I am going to see you at RubyConf Mini, correct? You are indeed. Yes. Wonderful. Go buy your tickets so. now, folks, and also sponsors welcome. Yes, absolutely. We will also link that all up in the show notes. Andy, I will talk to you soon. 
Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.